0: This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats. I just want to take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the support of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button and take a moment and fill out a review. It makes a whole lot of help in terms of growing and developing this podcast. Enjoy today's chat. Peace. Hey, this is Kieran with Coach's Corner Chats and joining me is Jimmy Walker. Jimmy, where are you at and what are you up to?
1: Yeah, so so currently the head women's soccer coach at Bowling Green State University. Um, So we're in Bowling Green, Ohio, about uh, 20 minutes from the Michigan-Ohio border. Um, I've been here going into my fourth season with the program, so um, in the middle of our Uh, Winter season, spring season, getting ready for games, gearing up for our new spring league that we're playing in this year. So kind of excited where we're at with the program and uh, really looking forward to like the spring season and then the upcoming year ahead with BG Women's Soccer.
0: You mentioned spring league. What exactly is that? What's that entail? Is it just kind of a group of schools that have gotten together and said, hey, we're going to kind of play a round robin?
1: Yeah, kind of. So, so courtesy, really, I think it was put together by University of Louisville. Um, so their, their staff put the league together and um, the league will consist of Louisville, uh, Michigan State, Bowling Green, Xavier, Dayton and Ohio University. So there's some really good teams in the league, some of the best teams in the country. And uh, rather than just playing spring games where the games are just kind of, yeah, it's good, it's development. We're actually putting a little bit of emphasis on uh, the competition side of it like we would in the fall so really excited it's our first year playing in the league and we're on the bracket with michigan state and louisville so we've got to play a big 10 champion and an acc school which will be fantastic for us um, and then on the other side of the bracket is ou who's a max school and a competitor and then xavier and dayton who are both really successful programs so the winners will play off in the championship second place team third place team so it's going to be a really good competition for us as we prepare for the full season.
0: You talked about being there for four years. When you got to Bowling Green, what were some of the things that you wanted to get in place to get to like even year four and beyond?
1: Yeah. Great, great question. So I I was very blessed to have inherited a very good team. So um i've had lots of different challenges along the way as a head coach so it's it's um, i think it's 25 years i've been coaching at, at the collegiate level or at the, the high level and um at other programs my challenge has been inheriting a program that we needed to rebuild um or a program that was in not great shape that we really needed to turn around uh, this was the first program i inherited that was pretty good um <laughs> and i'll be honest it's probably the toughest challenge is inheriting a program that's really successful and the pressure maybe that comes with continuing to keep it there so um, I was blessed to take over from my good friend Matt Fannin who's now at Iowa State Um, and the program had come off of winning um, the MAC championship when I took over Um, so we inherited that team and I think we had an unbelievable group of women Um, and the goal was to continue to move that forward and and hopefully go from being a great team to becoming an elite team uh, in regards to NCA Division 1. So that's still the goal for the programme. Um, we've, we've continued to win conference championships in the Mid-American Conference, and uh, we've just fallen a wee bit short in the NCA tournament. Uh, we lost to Michigan, who went to the Final Eight when, when they did really well. Um, and then we, we lost, unfortunately, on penalty kicks to Ole Miss, and that could have been our first ever NCAA tournament win. So goal for the program is to continue to compete to win conference championships and hopefully be the first team at BG to ever win a, an NCAA tournament game.
0: As you look at the team and you look at that past history, what do you think it is that will get you over the hump? Is it just experience and being there more and more and just kind of seeing, recognizing like what it takes?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think there's a there's a, bunch of, um, a bunch of characteristics that go into it. We're talking with our leadership group right now about the little percentages that it takes to get over the hump, right? So it might just be getting 1% better with five or six different things that we, we, can, we can improve, whether that's being better on set pieces, being a little bit better defensively. Uh, can we continue to move our culture forward um, where we have a competitive culture on the field would have a group of women that really buy into the team culture ethos of uh, really valuing each other, valuing relationships, where we can still have that success on the field, but maybe that relationship building off the field is that little bit of a difference that makes us go on and be a little bit better in the NCAA tournament. So I think there's a ton of things that we can always improve. As When I was a young coach, you, you kind of think you know everything, and as I've gotten older, you realize there's so much you don't know. And um, you reflect a lot on, on areas you can get better. And if we can keep chipping away at little areas, we're going to keep getting uh, you know, closer with the percentages to getting where we need to be to win a championship and, and also win that NCAA tournament game, we
0: hope. So just from your accent, it doesn't sound like Northwest Ohio or the Midwest is where you're from. So when did... I guess, when did soccer become part of your life and start that like passion to get to where we're at now?
1: Yeah, so, so I, I've been blessed with a journey where I've been so fortunate to have done the things that I've done in my life and see the things and be able to do the things I do. I, I don't look at coaching as a job. I get to do what I love every single day. Are there things about coaching that you, you don't always enjoy? Of course there are, uh, but that's the same with any profession that you go into, but but I, I was really blessed at a very young age. My, my dad was a Premier League football player in England. Um, and then he coached in the Premier League for 15 years. Um, he was with Aston Villa as a coach on, on Aston Villa staff. So I, I grew up around the game. and my dad, my dad was kind of a legend back in England. He won the Premier League twice as a player for Derby County, playing for Brian Clough. Um, my brother-in-law was, was captain of Aston Villa and, and he coaches at Aston Villa with the under-23s. So it really was in my DNA to, to, to go into coaching and continue on that path. And, I, you know, there's not another job in the world I could ever consider doing. It's a passion. It's life. It's it's just more, it's more than it's everything to me. Soccer, I love it. I love waking up every day, going to work. And I'm blessed to get to do my hobby for a living.
0: With so many kind of like role models for you, like your dad, they talk about the brother-in-law. How do you end up in the U.S. coaching and not staying in England?
1: Yeah, well, well, well like, unlike many English people that said uh, they had injuries, that's why they never made it. I, I wasn't good enough to make it in England. So um, I was um, a part of Aston Villa's Academy up until the age of 18. And I got told at 18, I wasn't going to be given a professional contract. So um, my next phase, my dad was really big into wanting me to get an education and play football um, and and find a way to be able to do both. Um, I was offered a contract at a a team called Birmingham City, which was Aston Villa's rival. So there's no way that was going (laughs) to happen. So I had a chance to go there for two years, but my dad was really adamant about me getting my education. So um, I came over to America and played got my degree and then played a couple of years professionally after. Um, and then from there, I got into coaching just as a, I was very fortunate being in the right place at the right time with my first coaching job. So, so again, blessed to have had a, an opportunity to play in England and then come over here and play. And But, again, I wasn't quite at the level to make it at, at the highest level over there. But probably the best decision I made was getting my education.
0: What was it like, though, when you get to that point? Because I know you deal with with student athletes now where you're like, you'd be a great fit for my program or you wouldn't be a great fit. What was the experience of going through and being told like you're not good enough to move on? How did you use that? And now maybe now that you're on the other side, how's that conversation a little bit different based on your experience?
1: Yeah. So 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 for me, it might not necessarily have been wasn't I wasn't good enough at that time. And Um, I had a little bit of growing to do I wasn't physically fully developed at that point and um, so that was a a little bit of a struggle for me Um, you know I wasn't quite there at that moment in my life as an 18 year old but just when you're 18 and you're not quite there um, doesn't mean to say you're not going to be there at 21 22 so you you have a choice you you can you can throw the towel in and you know and and be devastated about it or you can use it as, as motivation to go on and do better and and um, There's two ways you go with it. I had friends that, that got released and stopped playing. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop playing. I love the game. I want to get better. And I'm going to go away and prove people wrong. And i um, not sure if I proved them wrong enough to go back to England, but I was able to make a career out of the game over here.
0: You mentioned the success of your dad, the, the brother-in-law and all that. It, is it difficult sometimes not to compare yourself or be known as, oh, you're so-and-so's son? Um, is it been one of those, has there been a chip maybe on your shoulder where like, look, I'm Jimmy Walker. I'm my own person. I'm my own coach. I'm doing my own thing.
1: That, that was a little bit difficult for me when I was playing in England. Um, you know, I, it was tough at Aston Villa because I was always known as Jim, Jim Walker's son. So it was a little bit more of a challenge and any, any player that plays whose dad's a coach or mom's a coach probably deals with that. And you've got to, you've got to do even better. Um, when the coaches when you're the coach's son or the coach's um, you know kid so you gotta you gotta really prove yourself in those situations. One of the best things that happened to me was coming over here to make a name for myself without that. Um, you know, being able to come to America to play and, and no one cared. No one knew Half the people in America didn't even know who Aston Villa were and wouldn't care anyway. So it was kind of nice to be able to make a name for myself over here and be able to go on my own path. And not live in those shadows, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, so it was really good for me to do that. Um, I often look back and I'll share my players will probably roll their eyes when I'm sharing those war stories of when I was younger. I wish I'd have done things a little bit different. But, um, you know, no regrets coming out here. You know, met my wife, I have two wonderful children. Um, So, so blessed to have had this experience
0: what's the dynamic i've i've coached my own kids and there's that balance of like i'm a coach but i'm dad what was the dynamic of having him who's a high level coach as your coach and then we get in the car and we're heading home after the match and now he is he dad or is he coach how was that dynamic for you two
1: yeah he he was absolutely brilliant um never once put pressure on me
0: because he
1: played at that level he knew you know he You know, you sometimes hear the stories of youth soccer and parents getting kids in the car and yelling at them because they've not played really well and maybe living their life through their kid. That was never the case for me. My dad was probably my best mate, my best friend. Um, We used to do everything together. We used to go and play in five-a-side teams together. We'd go and watch games together. There was never, ever that pressure. That always came from me. It was never on my dad and all my passion for the game, um, my dad never put pressure on me to go and do anything. It was always on me to want to do that. When I'd get home from school and wanted to go play football in the backyard and dad never forced me to do it, it was always on me. So I was blessed because it, you know, I never had that pressure on me. I've worked in the youth soccer ranks for, for quite a while and I've seen lots of situations where there is pressure on kids and it's, it's extremely difficult. At the end of the day, you get to play soccer. It's a passion. It's something you love to do. And um, sometimes the, the parental pressure can really you know, make players lose that passion for the game. So I, I was really fortunate and blessed with that.
0: So you do university, you get some playing, you're over here in the States. What's your, what's your first coaching gig look like?
1: Yeah. So, so I, I was blessed. It was, uh, so I, I was originally, it was supposed to go to Clemson to play. And then, I'm embarrassed to say my SAT was really not very good, so I I, I wasn't eligible at the time to play Division 1. I'd left school kind of at 16, uh, because that's what age we leave school in England. I left school at 16 to play football. And uh, so my SAT wasn't great, and I hope my players aren't listening to this and hear my grades weren't great, but um, I should have applied myself a little bit more academically. Um, So I was supposed to go to Clemson, wasn't eligible, and I ended up at an NAIA school in Ohio, of all places. Um, And back in those days, the NAIA was like the Wild West of of soccer. Um, My college team, I couldn't have asked for a better college team. It's probably one of the best teams I've ever played on. Our average age was about 26, 27. I think um, half the players, back then there was no internet. And so people didn't know who had played at what club or where. I think half the players playing in the NEIA had played at a pro level at some point or other in a different country. Uh, my centre-back was 32 years old and he had a kid and had played at Liverpool. So I was dealing with, it wasn't like Division 1 where it's 18 year old, 19 year old American players. I'm dealing with men playing in the NEIA. So that experience was unbelievable. We had players from all over the world, Jamaica, Jamaica national team players, uh, South Africa, Finland. We had a player that was from Finland and played in front of 35,000 in the Champions League then he comes to Tiffin, Ohio and plays in front of 10 people on a, on a cabbage patch field so it was an unbelievable different experience but uh, blessed to have had a great team fortunately for me I'd had a good playing career um, and been drafted by New England um, a coach at the time called Frank Stapleton was at New England Revolution and um, he'd through friends back home and stuff like that, they'd heard about me and I'd had a really good senior season and I'd gotten drafted by New England. It was a preliminary draft. And then unfortunately I wasn't going to, I wasn't given one of the three green card positions being British. They were, they were picking much better players than me to for those roles. Um, so I, I farmed out and went to a couple of teams and played in Kalamazoo, Michigan, played in Cleveland. Uh, and fortunately for me, um, The Tiffin head coach at the time in pre-season took the head coaching job at Bowling Green. I was going back for my fifth year to finish up school and to help as an assistant with the men's programme. And the AD at the time said, hey, would you take the women's team? That's how I started in coaching because I was in the right place at the right time and had had a good career. So at 23 years old, I became the head coach at Tiffin University. And that's where it all started for me. And I'm forever grateful for the experience i was given it, i learned so much as a young coach i failed so many times made so many mistakes and continue to make mistakes to this day um but it, it gave me my journey in, in coaching and i'm forever grateful for that
0: when you do look back at the t- days at tiffin what are some of the the memories or some of the things that stand out maybe the good or maybe like you said there were some failures. And that's part of the learning curve for us as coaches and as players. But what are some things that when you think about the Tiffin coaching days, what are some things that kind of popped to mind?
1: Yeah. so, So times were very different. This is going back. I was going back 26, 27 years now, that when I first started 26 years ago, and times were very different in college athletics. You know, you didn't take chartered buses, you were in vans. And so you'd be dry. Coaches would be driving vans to places. And, We'd be driving vans to New York City and things like that. So times were really different. Um, I think there was a different level of appreciation back then for the small little details. When you gave our players training T-shirts, they thought that was the biggest thing ever back then. Um, nowadays, it's an expectation that you get training kit and things like that. So I think it was the, that moment in my life. It was an exciting time. I was a young coach. Um, I knew many of the players already through um, being a player on the men's team. So it was just a really exciting time in my life. My best friend, a guy called Rudy Brownell, who coaches the men's team now at Tiffin, he was my assistant coach. <clears throat> so I was getting to do what I loved every day with my best friend. It was an unbelievable experience and an exciting time of life um, with young women that, you know, it, it's just they were grateful. It was a different time. Um, Gosh, we were tough on them. Gosh, we pushed them. There's no way we could probably push the players as hard today as we did back then. Uh, things have changed so much. But my goodness, back then we challenged the players. They responded. They pushed back. It was, it was such a good time to, to learn your coaching trade. But over the years, obviously, times have changed a little bit. So um, we got to go to a couple of national championships during that time. We had a ton of success, won some conference championships. So... The journey was just an amazing time of my life. I was younger. I was single at the time. It was just things were so different. And then fortunately, met my wonderful wife. And, and uh, it was a great place to be. Tiffin was a great place. So.
0: I was just thinking, what was it like to go from, you know, being around the professional game, that high level, and you talk about having kits ready, and all of that comes with being a professional, to then – You know, Tiffin, you said we're playing just on a small patch of grass with 10 people. How was that transition for you to go from, you know, the top of the top to now dealing with kind of, you know, I don't want to say grassroots, but like at the college level, it's a, you know, it's a level below um, on there. Did you bring some of that professionalism like the kits and all that? Did you say that's something I want to try to bring that they haven't got to experience here in the in Ohio?
1: Yeah, it it did. And and I was surrounded by people that were like that. We didn't have a lot, but we made the most of everything we had. And I think there was a a huge attitude of gratitude amongst our programme. And I was surrounded by excellent people and excellent players that had all come from really, really high levels. Um, My first game in college was against Bowling Green. We were 3-0 up against Bowling Green after 30 minutes. That's how good of a team we had. So there was a lot of... The training environment was extremely professional. We had a head coach, a guy called Ian Day, who was an absolute legend, um, number five in the country. He'd be getting kids from all over the world, and we'd be wondering how the hell did he get that person to come to Tiffin. Uh, we had a lad on the team called Roderick Reed, and Roderick Reed would play for Tiffin against like Ohio Dominican, and then the following week he'd be playing against Mexico in the CONCACAF. Yeah, the World Cup qualifier and he scored in the Azteca Stadium to beat them 1-0 then he's coming back to us to play against Malone or Walsh and the, the players that, that were playing back then were absolutely unbelievable um, the guy who played in the Champions League in Finland I think he scored 25 goals his freshman year but he was 23 years old so there was a level of professionalism that we all brought with a coach that was also from England where I'm from and um, So, so again, you know, whilst we didn't have everything, we had an unbelievable team and an unbelievable chemistry and group of guys that we still all keep in touch today.
0: So you're at Tiffin, rock and rolling, loving it. You meet your wife. What's the next step in your coaching journey?
1: Yes. So, so we, we were fortunate at that time. We had some really good players and like anything else, as good as anybody can be as a coach, you've got to have good players. Um, you're only as good as your players and and as people will say what makes a good coach good players what makes an excellent coach excellent players you're only as good as the players you have Um, so we we were fortunate to have done really well at tiffin and and gone to a couple of national championships and um, i i then got a phone call off of a school in pittsburgh called duquesne university and duquesne were in the atlantic 10 with like dayton and xavier at the time and Um, I was given the opportunity to step up to the Division 1 level as a head coach, I think I was one of the youngest Division 1 head coaches in the country at that time so um, that was an amazing opportunity living in the city of Pittsburgh was brilliant, again we were newly married so it was an exciting time of our lives and um, I was getting to work with a different level of player and um, I loved my time at Duquesne loved the school, it was a great school academically Uh, we'd had a ton of success at Duquesne and um, I think still some of the records that we set at Duquesne still haven't been beaten, um, you know, 15 years since that time. So um, we had a really good group of women and um, that was another really exciting point of our lives. And we went to the postseason for the first time. We were ranked for the first time in the program history. Uh, So the program was really doing big things.
0: When you look back, when you make the jump from Tiffin, To division one, Duquesne, what, what is the, what was the difference? Like when you got there, not only the level of play, but what other things like facilities, support, like what was kind of maybe, you know, Hey, if I'm in a small school and I jump to division one, what's the expectation that you might run into?
1: Yeah. I mean, the resources, I mean, it's, it's massively different. I think my operating budget at Tiffin was about 10 to 14,000 at that time. And within a couple of days of being at Duquesne, I get my budget and it's it's over 65,000. So you're dealing with, and that's a long time ago. So you're dealing with way different budgets. We'd gone from driving two hours to play, you know, University of Finlay, Tiffin and Finley were 30 minutes, Bobby, you go from playing games 30 minutes away, two hours away to flying to play UMass and Rhode Island and St. Louis. So, you know, where you were travelling was different. You were flying to games, not taking minivans. You had a strength and conditioning coach. You had an academic coordinator. So you still found a way to be really busy, but I wasn't having to do all the things I was doing necessarily at Tiffin. And Tiffin and I was the academic coordinator. I was having to meet with them weekly on their academics. And then you get to the Division One level, the resources are better. Uh, facilities were better. There was more money. There was more support. And the experience that those athletes had was, uh, was significantly different than the, the the D2 players that I coached.
0: And then how long are we at Duquesne?
1: So I, I was at Duquesne, it was um, five years I was at Duquesne. Um, so I had four seasons, but I'd gone there in January, December, January, and I worked all the way through four seasons. And then a little bit of time after the season, And then I got my next opportunity to coach in the Big Ten at Penn State. So I went to Penn State um, and had the opportunity. The reason I left Duquesne, I was the head coach at Duquesne and became the associate head coach. Back then, it was called the top assistant, the number one assistant. And I had the opportunity to go and work with probably one of the most respected coaches in the game of soccer, a guy called Barry Gorman. And Barry Gorman is an Irish guy. He was at Penn State for 30 years. He was in charge of all the coaching courses. He had written books. and I got the opportunity to have a mentorship with Barry Gorman um, and learn so many things. I thought I knew what I was doing until I got in his presence and then I realised just how much I didn't know about, about soccer
0: how does that opportunity even come about? Is it just a random conversation or how do you end up getting such an awesome opportunity? Um,
1: Just through networking and um, hoping that you're doing a good enough job that your reputation's relatively good. Um, I'd spent quite a bit of time at Penn State in the summers doing camps and getting to know their staff and things like that. So I knew, I knew the women's staff at Penn State and I knew some of the former Penn State players who, I played for the Riverhounds in Pittsburgh, for example. <coughs> so it was a great opportunity when I'd gone to camp and met with everybody. Um, that's right around the time the job was coming up. And um, you know I, I interviewed for the job and, and had a great you know, time with Barry and the staff. And he'd asked me to come on staff and, and help out. And it was with the men. So I'd gone from coaching women um, in the Atlantic 10 to coaching men in the Big 10. And it was an unbelievable experience
0: you just mentioned the switch and gender what what is if someone's wondering like what's it like coaching women versus coaching the men how is there a different dynamic way you communicate way you set up sessions what are some of the intricacies of dealing with one or the other
1: yeah so th- there's definitely positives and negatives to coaching both right um i think i heard uh, jason was on the other day and i was listening to his and i think he'd had experience doing that um you know, if you, if you say to a group of male players at halftime, it wasn't good enough today. Every male player sat there going, well, I was good. Everybody else was not very good. If you say that to a group of women, every, every female player is going, oh, my God, he's talking about me. So it's a very different mentality coaching the men to the women. And again, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't always get it right. Uh, we're passionate as coaches and we learn every day to try to model our behavior and do better with what we do. Um, but I'll tell you what the, you don't see the women rolling around anywhere near as much as the men when they get tackled so there's, there's certainly different different things women are uh, female players are definitely relationship built um, and value relationships as well as the coaching piece whereas the men I don't necessarily think value that quite as much um, if, if they've got a good team and good players they're good with that I think women genuinely care um, are they buy in, they really try hard for you and I think female players will work really really, hard for you if they like you as a coach um, <clears throat> as a male coach they don't have to do that um, they're going to work hard and, and they're competitive with that anyway but I'm blessed right now I've got one of the most competitive teams I've ever coached and I have an unbelievable group of women here at Bowling Green and it's one of the most competitive teams I've ever worked with <clears throat> so I'm, I'm blessed to have done both men and women but Again, positives and negatives to to both male and female players.
0: You mentioned the coach at Penn State, Coach Gorman, being like a legend. What was it about him as a coach that made him go from just being good? You talk about coaches needing excellent players to have an excellent program. What made him as a coach excellent?
1: I think his attention to detail. Um, You know, I'd learned a lot about the recruiting side when I worked for Barry and might not have always appreciated it as much as what I should have done looking back. I, I appreciate it so much more now. Uh, but the attention to detail with recruitment um, every little detail, like if we were recruiting a player, we were not only making sure they were a good player, but we would check in with the guidance counsellor at the school, their club coach, the recommendations that we got because he was very big on the character of the player that we would bring in as well as the quality of the player that we would bring in. So attention to detail was a big thing. Um, as a younger coach at the time, we'd plan training sessions and, and Barry would sometimes rip your session apart. And I'm like, why is he doing that? <laughs> then you realize those details that he's given you are there to make you a better coach. And you didn't necessarily always appreciate it, that at the time. But then after the fact, you realize every little detail was questioned and he was doing it sometimes to push your buttons as well, to see how you respond and see if you had the backbone to kind of step up for your philosophies as well. So, there was those little details everything from the way we traveled to the way we set up for games um, his attention to detail was really really high like the players would turn up to the equipment room and their wheelie bags were all packed everything was in there everything was done players would get there pick the stuff up would go to the airport would fly out to games everything was meticulous in the planning and preparation so really good and then he, he was really you know he was experienced he knew the game he Um, even, even Barry would say as well, he, he obviously made mistakes too, as as a coach learning his trade, but just his experience and the way he set up to do things was just really, really good education for me.
0: So you're like a sponge taking in all this, getting more and more confidence. At what point do you say, okay, I feel like I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's do this again. And I'm going to head off on my next step in this journey.
1: Yeah, well, the, net, the next step was completely outside the box for me. Um, it was a it was a very different, it, it wasn't necessarily a forward move. I'd say it was a very lateral move for me, <clears throat> but it was a different type of challenge. Um, so Barry, at the time, had actually just gone to, he was going, um, he had one more year left, but was going to FC Dallas. So he was going to work for FC Dallas with Shellis Hyman, who was his best buddy. <clears throat> so I had an opportunity opportunity to come back to Ohio where my wife was from and it was a family move and uh, I, over, I, I took over a team a club called Pace Setter Soccer Club so was, that's where Mary Whistler who you'd spoken to was coaching for me there um, so I went from coaching in the Big Ten to working with under eight under nine under ten year old kids it was a very different type of challenge but one that probably made me look at things from a different angle that has made me you know maybe a little bit better with my approach now as well so there was a lot of detail now to the education <clears throat> to the coach education to the development of players how do you develop an eight-year-old how do you develop an 18. we had teams as we had players as young as three and then we had a, a, a men's semi-pro and a women's semi-pro team so i was overseeing everything from three-year-olds to semi-pro soccer so it was <clears throat> a very different education then I was coaching coaches, not necessarily always coaching players. So I had to do some work with coach education and, and try and educate coaches as well as, as, as coach. So it was a very different experience in Penn State, but also a really valuable one where I learned a lot of lessons. Again, not always doing it right, figuring out that you get things wrong and, and make those changes. And, and hopefully that makes you become a better coach down the road.
0: You mentioned the move back to Ohio to get closer to your wife's family, how she's been on this journey with you from the Tiffin days to, you know, to Kane, to Penn state to now back to Ohio. How important has she been? We always hear about like, there's always a someone behind the scenes that people don't really recognize. How important has she been on this and how big of was that discussion to say, I love coaching. I'm with a legend, but I understand how important my family is. And this move is the right move to make. Yeah,
1: that, that's such a, I mean, at the end of the day, for us as coaches, we love our profession, we love what we do, but your family will always come first. It's, uh, <laughs> you have two families you have your family at home and then your the family of the team that you're coaching. Um, so she has been absolutely, I couldn't ask for a better supportive person to do what I do. She, She's absolutely our rock of our family. There's so many things you miss um, being a coach when you're travelling and you're away, and little things like getting the kids to school, doing all the little things behind the scenes, where she allows me to do what I love to do, and uh, invaluable because um, a lot of a lot of coaches I know, you know, if their wives don't support you. It's going to be a really difficult job for you to be in. So she's our rock. She. She'll also tell me if we've not played well enough as well. So she, she loves the games. She loves going to the games and she, she's all about it too. But um, brilliant supporter. my wife works with um, children with special needs. Um, so she's already got a big heart anyway, the way she, what she does for a living. She's a tough old, old fashioned teacher. Uh, but I'll, I'll come home and I'll vent about maybe training didn't go too well today. And she said, dude, I'm working in the inner city. With kids who don't have parents, don't come back to me complaining about football. So uh, it's it's really it's really um, grounding for me. <clears throat> but she's absolutely my rock and and the most supportive person I could could ask for.
0: So the experience of Pace Setter, you're working with, like you said, super young to high level. Um, How does like the next you are you thinking, hey, I'm Pike is going to be doing this club thing for a while, or were you still keeping the door open for maybe an opportunity like BGSU to open up? So,
1: so I actually did the club for 10 years, but it but I had that, um, the carrot of the semi pro team, the men's and women's teams at the top. Um, we also had some really good teams and an unbelievable culture of coaches that we all still keep in touch today. So, it was a really good environment for us to be in for those years. I was always going to go back to college coaching at some point. Coaching club was never going to be my final destination. Um, I did it a lot longer than I thought I was going to do it for. Um, But being kind of landlocked to my wife not wanting to... So I I had an opportunity to go down to IMG, um, to coach IMG. My wife wasn't going to move to Florida. No way that was going to happen. So we only had maybe four or five jobs that I could even consider because she wanted to stay in Northwest Ohio. Um, so there was Tiffin University, which I'd coached there already. And I don't know if you ever go back, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there was University of Toledo um, who had interviewed me for one of their jobs. Um, there was University of Finley, which was my next step. And then there was Bowling Green. So there was only maybe a handful of jobs I could have even considered um, just because of my family being settled in Northwest Ohio. And that kind of led to our next journey of going to University of Finley because uh, it was a really good university. It was back to Division Two again, but I knew the long-term goal was to be back coaching college soccer. So it was the perfect fit at the perfect time of my life. And again, timing is, is, is absolutely everything. One of the
0: things that has stood out for me is your ability to um – remember names and connections and stories about them how how important has not only meeting and connecting with people but remembering and staying? you talked about like coaches that you're still texting with and i still remember this coach and the guy that i played with we're still in touch and you're just you rip off names really really well which is super impressive how important has not only the coaching experience but getting to really build and develop relationships with those that you're coaching with, or you're coaching, or when you were coached with, or like the new coaches at Paysetter, etc.?
1: Yeah, so so it obviously takes time to build relationships. It doesn't come after a year. It doesn't come after, in a short term, it takes a lot of time. But the culture at Paysetter, that took us 10 years to build. Um, And again, we all met up a few weeks ago and all got together and had dinner together and caught up and um, it was just absolutely brilliant. But you need that network of coaches in your profession. OK, I think players will, con- you know, will complain about coaches. Right. It's just natural. And as coaches, we like to get together and vent our frustrations to each other. I mean, it's a really good sounding board and network of people to support each other. Um, so those relationships are massively important. Um, the relationships with players are, are going to be slightly different because we're not their best friends. And we've got to be very careful that they don't view us as their best friends because our goal is, is is to make them better people. Our goal is to make them better soccer players. And our goal is to, to make them effective so that when they get into the real world, they can be successful. And that doesn't always come by being their best friends. Sometimes it comes by having to be honest with them and, and hold them accountable. And, you know, it's like parenting in some ways, you know, you, you know, having that accountability and, and pushing them and, you know, I would rather a player respect me than like me. Does that kind of make sense? My job, mm-hmm. I don't know if my job is, if I can be liked, that's a bonus. But if my players always like me, then I'm probably not working them hard enough. And if they always hate me, then I'm probably working them too hard. So probably depends on the day, right? And, and, and how they're doing and how they're feeling about you as a coach. But I do think the relationships are massive. It's like anything, it's the key to any relationships, communication and, and, and working with players, I don't, I don't, again, I don't always get it right. I've had some teams that I've had the most unbelievable relationship with. And then I've had teams that maybe I pushed a bit too hard. Um, you know, when you look back and reflect, and maybe you could have done things a little bit differently. But um, I do think the relationship's massive. You know, I we'd had a not quite as good of a year last year. And at the end of the season, I was kind of, it got to a point we'd won two match championships and um winning was a relief, not a joy, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And and I, I did a lot of reflecting over the Christmas period and I was like, Man, I've gotta dive into my relationships again with my coaching friends and colleagues and I'm I'm not I've gotta enjoy this because if I'm not enjoying it, I don't think my players are going to either. So I think I look back with some regrets last season and I'm hoping that I can Make a difference and improve on that so we can get back to having success again next year.
0: What was the experience like getting back into college coaching? You're at Finley. You're like, I'm sure you were hyped. The adrenaline was rolling. Like, how was that experience of sliding back into the college game for you?
1: Un- unbelievable. So I, I went and interviewed for the job. Um, I met with the players, I met with the, um, a, a, a woman called Brandy Larita, who is one of the best ADs I've ever had the opportunity to work for, and a guy called Jim Givens, who was absolutely brilliant. And I remember being at the interview and getting offered the job at the interview. So it, it wasn't a case of getting a call two days later, I was at, offered the job in the interview. And I remember the excitement, you know, me and, me and my wife, we cracked open a bottle of champagne that night when we got home and just celebrated it. But it was really exciting. And I was so excited to get back to college coaching again, where I was just working with one team again. Um, and it was an unbelievably special group of women at University of Finlay. Um, they would not had a tremendous amount of success and they had been struggling a wee bit um, and not, have not doing particularly well. And uh, my first season there, we crushed it. We had a great year. We were beating teams we'd not beaten in the past. And um, we had a really good first year. Then the second year, we had an even better year. And we'd established our culture and our core values and our mission statements and all those details. And then they really bought into the sacrifice that they had to put in to be successful. And that was so good because we won our first conference championship in, I think it was the first conference championship in over 15 years. We went to the NCAA tournament, won our first ever NCAA tournament game And it was like it was it was one of the best experiences of my life. The girls were amazing. Um, The selection show, the excitement of that. It was (laughs) memories that I'll always be grateful for. And and probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my coaching career was was a couple of times. One was leaving Tiffin. And then I think leaving Finley to come to Bowling Green was one of the hardest things I've had to do.
0: What? what was the kind of tipping point that made you come to bg and leave finley
1: there was there was a couple of things um my wife is um, works for special uh, needs children in toledo and i was coaching at finley bowling green was right in the middle of both of the areas where we worked so we lived in bowling green so when i got offered the chance to go to bowling green we didn't have to move house we didn't have to change schools for our kids it was a chance to go back to the division one level. I did feel I had unfinished business at that level. I wanted to win division one conference championship. I wanted to go to the NCA tournament as a coach. And when you look back and reflect, I, I looked at it and said, I want to test myself at the highest level against the best coaches in the country. And um, that was probably the determining factor was to get back to that. And I remember thinking, to myself as a coach, about seven years earlier, I was coaching an under-13 B team game opposite the University of Michigan Stadium at a high school. And I remember thinking to myself, what have I done to go from coaching in the Big Ten, playing in at Michigan Stadium, to now coaching an under-13 B team <laughs> at a high school field? And I'm thinking, what have I done? And I remember when I got the opportunity to coach at BG again, thinking, I want to go back to Michigan. And I, I remembered that moment in my coaching career. And I'm like, I want another crack at those guys. And that year, I got two opportunities to play against them. And, and uh, they beat us 2-1, unfortunately. But we were beating them 1-0 in the game. So you just look back on those moments and like, man, you don't always, you're not always going to get these chances and when you have a good season, your stock's not going to be much higher um, than what it was at that time. And um, I, I had to go back, and I wanted to test myself against the best. So even if that meant failing, I wanted to test myself at the highest level.
0: With the move from England to the U.S. and your coaching, coaching, you're doing your thing, and you talked about how close you and your your dad were when you were growing up. What has it been like? What was it like when you – made that move um, over, like, well, how did that kind of affect or what effect did it maybe have on your relationship between you and your dad? Because you weren't around each other as much now.
1: Yeah, that that's probably been, you know, when you look back and reflect on things, that's probably been the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Uh, Leaving home at 19, I wasn't going two hours away. I was going to a different country. And I've got players at at BG and had players at Finlay and Tiffin and Duquesne that are international players. So I can respect so much what they have to do in order to leave their country to to come and play somewhere else. So probably the toughest decision I've ever had to make. But I was so love the game of football, the opportunity to be able to play football every day, get a degree... It was kind of the sacrifice you were making for a better life for yourself and i don't think i might not have been given that same opportunity back home so whilst it was tough i knew it was the best thing for me um, i think the hardest thing i had to do was after my freshman year i went home for christmas and coming back that first year that's the hardest decision i've ever had to make because i did not want to come back after my freshman my first season in college after christmas but i didn't want to come back it was Ohio. It was snow. You weren't in season. You were just doing schoolwork. It was so different. And I remember arguing arguing with my mum and dad about not wanting to come back, wanting to stay in England, play football. And it was really my mum that pushed me more than anybody at that moment to say, you've got to do this and at least go and stick it out. And I'm probably forever grateful because if it wasn't for that, I don't know what i would be doing now. So it was the best decision I think I ever made was coming back, um, my freshman. But it was tough. It was tough. I miss missed that opportunity with my dad. I've been fortunate to go back every year to see my dad. Um, I'm going to go back and see him again in the summer. Um, but fortunately now, you know, the internet and hmm. the way you can FaceTime each other and we have Alexa. I don't know if my dad even knows how to use Alexa, but, <laughs> but he figures it out. Um, but we're able to speak to him quite a bit and I've been blessed to have gone home quite a lot, you know, once or twice a year since I've been here. So I wish I could spend more time with him. Um, you know, but at a sacrifice, it's kind of my life's over here now. And uh, that's probably the hardest thing.
0: So you've talked about BG. It's right there. Your, Your wife can get to work. You can get to work in a timely fashion. Um, it's the opportunity to be at a Division One, and the challenge. Is this kind of in your eyes? Is this the last stop? Is this the one where you want to kind of build, like, I don't know to call it legacy, but kind of build something that when you finally maybe step away from coaching, this is the, the crown jewel?
1: Yeah, I, I really do believe that. Um, you know, we, we have had a, a, a good amount of success here. Um, I think Bowling Green is a special place for special people. Um, I've got a really good group of women. Um, I've got an unbelievable staff as well. My assistant Scott has just been so loyal to me in the three years. We've been together, um, going into year four together. My director of operations, Bernie is my goodness. I don't know how the team would do without her cause she is, she does all the little things that the moms do. You know what I mean? She's our female on staff that, that takes care of all the little details that maybe male coaches don't always think about. Um, and then my other assistant, Eric, um, who, who's, who was at Anthony Wayne, actually, where you went to high school, he was coaching Anthony Wayne. And those guys have been such a good group to work with. So, um, I've got a great staff. I've got an unbelievable group of women here at BG. And I'll be the first one to say, I don't tell them as often enough how great they are. Um, but they, they're really good in the classroom. Um, they're They've been successful on the field. They're really involved in the community, and, and I'm really blessed to to lead this group of women. Um, is it always perfect? No, um, but we continue to strive to to move the program forward. And um, you know, it's a great great place to be. We still have to. I want to be that first coach to an NCAA That's my goal for this program.
0: The one thing that I love about it too, I've been following because I follow you on Twitter and what have you, and you do a lot of um, sharing like your alumni, they've been talking about the program and, and, you know, some of the things that you have going on right now, how, how important is it to continue to not only just focus on the awesome group that you have now, but the ones that came previously that are alumni?
1: Without question, the history and the tradition of your program, without those players, without their sacrifices, We don't have what we have at this moment in time and there was players that came their first year where you know they were they all got extra large men's soccer kit that was down to their knees and all that. Those players had to make those sacrifices to build a program and a legacy for us to have what we have today. So um we Bowling Greens won six conference championships and when I got here the trophies weren't out and we immediately picked out the trophies and we put them back on the shelves for everybody to see because that's as big a part of the legacy of this programme as, ch- as a championship trophy in 2021 that championship trophy back in 2005-2006 is just as big of a, an important part of our history um, <clears throat> we've, we try to do as much as we can with our alumni, we had an unbelievable alumni game last year uh, where we had about 40 players come back which was a really good turnout um, So so we We can't, like, coming from England, history is a big thing, right? And and the history and the tradition of your club and the things that have gone on before all the players that are here currently, without that, we can't be successful. So it's such an important part of of what we do. Even the coaches, I've known every coach that's been at Bowling Green, from Tom Piccarilla, who's the first coach, to Andy Richards, who's a good friend of mine, who's the second coach. Kelly Evans was the third coach. Lindsey Basiligo was the fourth coach. Um, And then Matt Fannin was the fifth coach. Every one of those coaches I still speak to or at least keep in touch with. Um, And they're as big of a part of this program's history as what the players are as well.
0: This has been an amazing chat. uh, And that's a perfect way to shut this thing down. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Jimmy Walker. And I'm out. Peace what a great chat thanks for checking it out if you haven't done so already follow us on twitter at coaches let's chat hit that subscribe button and once again if you get a chance drop a review it's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.